What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast this week. We have a great episode with Don Higgins. Uh, went down to his farm earlier in September, recorded an episode with the Exodus Podcast, which went live last week. And then now this is with the Land Podcast. And this is a fun conversation, some some hot takes. And I think that you guys will, uh, will definitely find it entertaining and enjoyable and informational. So hope you guys get ready for that. Before we get into the episode, though, I have a couple things to bring up. The first thing is we are doing a giveaway with the Hunting Beast and obviously Exodus. And what we're doing is we're giving away a set of sticks, a beast stand, an Exodus render, and a dozen tailored MMT arrows. And you will be all set for the season. You got everything you need. So be sure to head over to the description of this podcast, sign up, and the winner of that is going to be announced on September 30th, sent out to your email. So be sure to keep an eye out from Exodus on September 30th for that email. And if this is the first time you're tuning in here to the Land Podcast, my name is Jake Hofer, and the sole mission and goal of this podcast is to help 100 people buy their first farm. There's a couple ways to be included on this list of 100 people. The first one is if you are in the state of Illinois and I can assist you in your buying land in the area I'm familiar with, I'm happy to help you as a buyer's agent. The second one is if you want me to help connect you with someone that I would personally do business with, someone that I would trust, um, I would be happy to do so. Just reach out and let me know where you're looking. And if there's someone that I know there, I'll tell you. And if there's someone I don't know over that direction, um, I'll just say, hey, I really don't know anyone over there. I don't want to send you to someone that you can just Google. I want to send you to people that I would do business with. And the third one is if you just simply learn something from this podcast or helps you Take a little bit more action, make the plunge in a calculated fashion. I wanna add you to the list. The goal is to help 100 people. So I hope you guys do that. Gosh, I get at least two or three emails a week right now of people that are sending out a note saying that this podcast helped them. So I just wanna say thank you to everyone that takes the point to do that. That's what puts fuel in this project. We need to do that because if we're not uh, achieving that goal, then we need to change things up. And uh, that's the whole goal, provide value. Also, some good news. I found a box of Pat Porter books here, um, actually in my basement from previously. And so if you want to get one of those last remaining books, head over to the resource sign up uh, in the link tree, put in your email, and I'm gonna go through um, for anyone that adds their email or sends me an email saying, hey, I need one of those books. Do you have any left? I'll drop them in the mail, I'll pay postage, send it to you. Um, have a lot of respect for Pat and has great books and it's a great starting point to learn a little bit more about buying and selling land. So that is it. Hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. If you find any value, please leave a written review. We just cracked a hundred. Want to say thank you for that. Here we go. So uh, we just finished up podcast for the Exodus podcast. Now it's all kind of the same beast, but now we're talking more about uh, land itself. And I think really excited to ask you a few questions because here on your home farm, how long have you been, how long have you been strictly managing for deer on, on this particular parcel? Oh, it's probably, let's see, it's right at 30 years now. Mm -hmm. yep. and, and 30 years, how many, how many mistakes did you make along the way that you now look back and cringe? You're like, I can't believe I wasted time doing that. Well, when I started, I think everything was a mistake, but uh, <laughs> I, I learned from them and you know, one of the, uh, what's the saying? The the definition of in, insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. When I would try something and the results were bad, I would I would change it. You know, I'd mm -hmm. do something different and uh, made a lot of mistakes out of the gate. And that's, I think, 
why I can bring so much value as a consultant is that I've made the mistakes. I've mm-hmm. done it wrong on my place mm-hmm. and I, I figured out the right way. And uh, I can save people a lot of years on the learning curve that way. That's what it is. Time too. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, whether people want to realize it or not, you only have so many seasons uh, on this earth and you don't want to waste them. <laughs> right. And, and you know, a lot of my clients are people that have been extremely successful at life and at their careers or whatever, professional athletes and whatever, mm-hmm. and they're getting older and they're slowing down and they want to, you know, enjoy their property or their deer hunting more. And, but yet they don't have that experience. They were chasing that career or whatever in their early years. And they bring me in to shave years off the learning curve. And, um, yeah, it, it's just a good fit. Do you see those people, uh, pretty quick to adopt those methods? Uh, a good percentage of them do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there any characteristics that you see in a, cause I mean, all the successful people that you've talked to, if they're hiring you to come out and check out their farm, is there any traits that you see those people have time and time again of, or, or career choices that they had time and time again? Well, the big thing that I see is that it's the hardest thing it is for me to get into their heads sometimes is in their careers, whatever it may have been, business, sports, whatever, the harder they worked, the more hours they put in, the more successful they yeah. were. And, and they want to apply that same principle to their property. That They think the more time they spend there, the more projects they do, the the better it becomes, the more big deer they kill. And um, that's not the case whatsoever. It becomes a matter of putting too much human intrusion on that property, and it actually makes it worse than if they just did nothing. Yeah, And it's really hard to get some of these people to pull back from their natural tendency to want to work hard. I mean, they've all got fantastic work ethics, and that work ethic has led them to be very successful at whatever it is they do. And sometimes you got to pull back, and they got to realize that sometimes less is more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a really good point. Yeah, most stuff that most of the things in life, the the more you do, the more you try to optimize it, the better it gets. But right. that that is one of the unique things about chasing whitetail deer. So this is home. You got you just finished building a gorgeous house here. You've been here for a really long time. Um, I tell you, Don, you got to sell everything. You got to sell everything. You got to go start over. Where, what state are you going to go to? Oh, wow. Well, if if I didn't have to factor in things like family mm-hmm. and I was starting over, I'd go to Iowa. There's no doubt about it. I was the place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my family roots keep me right here, so I, I'm not going anywhere. Sure. Yep. So, um. Uh, okay. What if I, cause we've, we've traveled in, in Iowa in August. So we've asked these questions quite a bit. So it'll be fun. What if Illinois used to be a fantastic state? It's not what it used to be. Still an awesome place to chase deer, obviously. Um, what if Iowa follows a similar path to what Illinois has and, and Iowa becomes a thing of the past in the next decade? What would be the next? Well, I, the next best state, yeah. I, I think there's a, a good case can be made for Ohio and a couple of things that Ohio's got going for them right now is the fact that their gun season is outside the rut. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is they've got a one buck limit. And the only thing keeping Iowa or Ohio from being better than Iowa is the corn piles. There's a lot of young bucks get shot on corn piles. If Ohio would get rid of the baiting during season, and I'm a fan of supplemental feeding outside of season. I'm not a huge fan of, of the the bait piles, but to each his own. But Ohio, I think in short order, 
within three or four years of getting rid of their corn piles, they would they would blow away Iowa. Is that just because of the amount of vastness and and habitat that's there, or what? Or is it or is it simply just because obviously Iowa, some pockets doesn't have much habitat, right? Ohio, diverse state, but some of the sections are are pretty big and, and continuous. Well, I think the genetics in Ohio are every bit as good and probably better than Iowa. And Iowa's got fantastic genetics. It's not a an insult on them whatsoever. But Ohio, look at what they're doing now with the corn piles. I mean, they're cranking out 200s right and left. I, I, I promise you, before the month of October is over, <laughs> you're going to see some giant Ohio bucks hit the ground. Mm-hmm. And just think of how many more there would be if they, they weren't getting shot as yearlings and two-year-olds on corn piles. Um, take it for uh, what it is. Yeah, take it for what it is. Okay, so uh, Iowa, then Ohio. Okay, and then that brings up a point. So you have a couple projects in Ohio right now, a couple farms. Mm-hmm. Is that what? What? Obviously, that's far away from Illinois. So what brought you to that part of Ohio to find a, a project to improve? And well, you know, oddly enough, I met a consulting client in Ohio a few years ago and walked his property with him and, and we really hit it off. And I made a lot of fantastic friends through my consulting and, and this gentleman's one of them. And uh, he owns an oil and gas company with wells throughout Southern Ohio. And it was a few months after my consulting visit, he got a hold of me and he said that he had a proposal that he wanted to buy properties together and uh, I would put the plan together for the property and he had the heavy equipment to implement the plan. And I, I turned him down the first time. And uh, why is that one, one less project well, or one less venture? It was a matter of, I was wanting to build a new house and I didn't want to tie my money up on a property in Ohio. Sure. And uh, I didn't know how long it was going to take to sell it or anything, but uh he did have me uh, put together the plan for that property he was going to sell. And I told him, if you know, you don't even need to pay me for the consulting visit until after you sell it. Mm-hmm. Well, shoot, a year later, he calls up and says, yeah, I, I sold that property and made X amount of dollars. And uh, I want, I'm going to do it again. You want in this time? I said, I want in this time. <laughs> and so uh, we bought the first one and uh, we had it for, uh, probably close to two years. What we try to do is, you know, we buy them. I put my plan together. He implements the plan. And then we want to hunt it for at least one season. And by hunting it for a season, um, these things are ready to hunt. We're putting blinds up. We're putting stands up. And we can kind of fine tune it after a season. The first one, for example, we seen that we didn't have enough food on the property for the deer herd that was there. So we expanded the food plot. Uh, we had to move a blind. We had a blind that was just out of place a little bit. So we moved the blind. And then when we sold it, you know, the the new buyer, he was ready to hit the ground running. He had enough food. He had the blinds in the right spot. So it's a process of about two years. And so right now we're on our third property. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked about it uh, just a few minutes ago, but what you're what you're helping that person with is time. They don't have to go through the process to go in and, right. and, and go – uh, get one, get you or one of your team members to come out and put out a plan and then put the plan. And then next thing you know, it's five years, like you said before, and you can just walk right into it. Yeah. It's kind of a perfect scenario for everybody because, you know, for me, basically I'm just using my knowledge, if you will, to put the plan together. 
my partner, he has the heavy equipment and, and during the, he's got a slow period where he's got these employees and he's got this equipment just sitting there and he can bring them in during the slow period to clear food plots, create access paths, whatever we need to do. And uh, then for the buyer at the end, he's got a property that when he buys it that first day, he's ready to start killing deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause a lot of those projects are big undertakings too. I think that people maybe underestimate that, but if you looked at, a, if you even know how to use that equipment, that's one thing. But number mm-hmm. two, you know how expensive it is to to rent it or or hire someone to go in and do that. Right. Um, I think because I I just um, from what I see with real, there's always a negative connotation to the to the word flipping, and I I, I think improving is a better way to say it. But mm-hmm. it's like man, it, there's a service there because would you go do all of that even if you had the plan? Probably not. And we're adding value to that property. I mean, that property literally when we. We buy it. I mean, my partner, being in the gas and oil industry, he's on the back roads of Southern Ohio. Um, I mean, the the dirt lanes, the gravel lanes. He's off the beaten path, and he finds these properties at a reasonable price, but they're properties that have had nothing done to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them. I mean, there's not even a place to plant a food plot when we start, and he's bringing in big dozers and and track hoes and and clearing these plots, not clearing little plots. I mean, he, he's clearing plots that are, you know, sometimes 8, 10, 12, 15 acres. Wow. And uh, we're getting a deer there. I, I'm <laughs> telling you, some of this southern Ohio, you know, a lot of it's just rolling hills yeah. and, and big hills and all wooded where there's hardly any uh, agriculture. Well, we're bringing some agriculture in there. Food in there. Yeah. yeah. How many sheds are some of these guys finding that? I, I assume it has to just be a late season magnet. Yeah, I, I couldn't I tell you how many curious. sheds they're finding, but I, I do know that the one property, the first one that we sold, um, the, the we signed it with a real estate agent that was local there, and he took a guy in to, to show the property, and they found a big old six-point side out in one of our food plots, and mm-hmm. he accused us of planting it there, and we didn't plant it there <laughs> at all, but uh, so, uh, you know, the, I, I know they're finding some sheds. How many, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, which brings up a different point. So that area, there's a lot of continuous big timber tracks, um, not necessarily a lot of people. And you talk about picture all the farms like a checkerboard mm-hmm. and make your square the best square. So in that instance, having food there would be a way to be the best square on the checkerboard. Absolutely. That If you got a 10-acre food plot, and in Ohio, you can use feed. Yeah. And we're sticking feeders on these farms, too. Um, not so much to hunt over, but just we want those deer to deer come there. to that property and never run out of food. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what day of the year it is. We want them to be able to find good quality food on those properties. And we suck the deer in out of them hills that surround the property um, for quite a way. So that is, That's really neat. So then I guess the inverse of that, where we're at here today, I would say there's plenty of food and not a lot of cover. Right. So... It's just whatever the opposite is mm-hmm. that someone needs to be figuring out. Like, okay, well, what's the what's the number one resource? What's the bottom resource? Yep. And try to get the two to go closer. What on some of these Midwest clients? What uh, what are some things that people should be doing in order to to get their square of the checkerboard to be the best? I mean, obviously, I'll let you. I'll let you answer. It. Well, you hit on it. You you gotta first of all, you gotta figure out the weakest link. And not just on that property, but in that area. Mm-hmm. And if food's the, the weakest link, like it is in southern Ohio, then 
you got to provide food. And when you do provide food, you need it as much as possible and you need it as diverse as possible. You don't want to just go in there and plant, you know, a field of soybeans and that's it. I mean, you want greens and grains. You want uh, mast, soft mast, apples, pears, persimmons. Um, the more you can diversify the food on that property, the better you're going to hold the deer. Mm-hmm. So you, you got to start by looking at that weakest link, not on the property, but in that whole area. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great point. And something, so let's say someone's in a pretty decently managed area and they still want to take their farm to the next level. You, you mentioned mass trees, so like apples, pears. Mm-hmm. What are some of your favorites that you see make the biggest impact? Favorite? Uh, 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 like apple tree, like your favorite apple tree, your favorite, the value of a chestnut tree, the va- like, because I think it's, uh, they take a long, they take a long time and they're a lot mm-hmm. of work to keep alive. And so A, are they worth it? And B, what are your favorites? Well, I wouldn't say I have a favorite. I think it changes with the properties. For example, if you're in a southern state, like say maybe, well, southern Illinois would be a perfect example, Kentucky, um, where there's a lot of persimmons. Well, why go plant persimmons if the deer can find persimmons everywhere? Use your efforts to provide something on your property that they can't find in that region or in that area. Mm -hmm. And you get up and, well, I was just in Vermont and um, this summer and a lot of apple orchards up there. Well, why would you plant apple trees if there's apple orchards everywhere? So it kind of changes with the region. Mm-hmm. So, okay. That, uh, that certainly makes sense. What about ways to improve cover? Cause I think there's probably a lot of different ways you could, you could open up the canopy, you mm-hmm. plant different types of grasses. Um, you could, there's a gazillion different things that you can do. What are some of the tried and true Beth method, methods of adding cover? Well, I think with cover, that diversity is just as important as it is with uh, food. And I'm, what I've noticed on this farm is that certain individual bucks will prefer to bed in wooded cover, and other individual bucks will prefer to bed in the switchgrass. Mm-hmm. And Smokey was one of those, this buck right above me. Um, you know, he liked to bed in the switchgrass. And I, I'm telling you, nine days out of ten, he's bedding in the switchgrass. Where another buck, he might bed in the in the wooded cover more. So diversity of of cover for bedding is really critical too. Mm-hmm. Obviously, switchgrass can get established much faster than the timber cover. So I assume part of your farm you planted a bunch. I know you used to sell trees, right? Mm-hmm. So you've planted a lot of trees and you have a lot of experience with them. Did you plant a bunch of trees on this place? Ah, uh, several, yeah, like hundreds or. Oh, probably thousands. Thousands. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and what was, what would you do the same? What would you do different with the trees that you planted? And was that like a cattle pasture chunk or was it a tillable section? Or Yeah, I, I started by, I enrolled some cattle pasture in CRP, in the CRP tree program. Mm-hmm. And what I would have done different is probably species selection. Uh, that was back before we ever heard of the emerald ash borer, which kills the ash trees. And I planted a lot of ash trees um, because they grow so fast and, uh, I mixed them with oaks. No, it wasn't just a stand of ash trees, but, uh, I was trying to get that quick wooded cover and uh, I would never use those ash trees or plant an ash tree today. Obviously, um, I would plant a lot more oak species that uh, hold their leaves in the winter. Um, you know, the shingle oaks, pen oaks, things like that, swamp white oaks, um, I'd plant a lot more shrubs. I'd mix shrubs in with those trees, um, you know, dogwoods, um, American plum, um, 
cranberry, American cranberry, mm -hmm. just a lot of different shrubs I'd mix in with those trees as well to give more ground cover. But, and I see your point of having both forms of that because you can potentially hold two mature bucks versus if you just did, you could just be holding one essentially. Yeah. That bounced around. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Do you, do you like the CRP tree program? Well, absolutely. I, I planted, I, I had a business as a conservation tree planting contractor until I sold it a few years ago. And I, I literally have planted millions of trees. I bet there's nobody in the hunting industry has planted more trees than I have. Millions, literally millions <laughs> across the entire Midwest. Mm -hmm. um, one spring we planted in seven states and we planted uh, over 500,000 trees in one spring in seven states. Jeez. So uh, I planted a lot of trees. Mm -hmm. So let's say someone, someone buys a farm and this is going to be where they plan on staying forever. <laughs> this is the... They buy a 40, this is their forever farm. Would you encourage them to go and take the, the time to plant the variety of different trees and do switchgrass or would you, or would you do all trees with less switchgrass or would it still be like a 50, 50 split? I it would depend on how that, that property laid out, but I, I'd try to get some of both in most cases. Now what I'm not a big fan of, and I've, I've had a few clients want to do this and I've tried to talk them out of it is they will want to remove trees to plant switchgrass. Well, I'm not a big fan of removing one form of cover for another. I mean, you, at the end of the day, you've got cover. And it, the, the expense and the and the work to do it, I just don't think it's worth it. If you've got good cover, well, just go with it. Mm -hmm. Don't try to, you know, make it better, if you will, by changing it to a different form of cover. Mm -hmm. That's a good point, yeah. And obviously, all these are very... Uh, dependent on the area and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, so that was just one of the questions. I guess, what would you say is the pros and cons of both of those two? Uh, of Warm season switchgrass versus pros and cons of, of a new stand of timber that you're planting. Well, the, the, the advantage of switchgrass is it's so quick to establish. You can take a farm like this one when I started that needed, we needed cover in this area. And instantly I got it by just planting switchgrass. Um, one thing I would have done different is, you know, we've, we've started, uh, selling miscanthus at real world. And today, if I was going to do a new switchgrass planting, I would go in right ahead of drilling in that switchgrass and I'd plant miscanthus rhizomes all over that field. Now that doesn't mean I would plant them close together. Um, like you typically would, if you're trying to screen or something like that. But I would plant those rhizomes on, say, like about a 10-foot grid, uh, make rows 10 foot apart, and then space those rhizomes about 10 foot apart um, as you're planting, and then drill the switchgrass right on top of it. So as it all comes up, you're going to have these giant clumps of miscanthus mm -hmm. uh, within that switchgrass. More structure in exactly. it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, those deer will bed. I've seen it. They'll bed right against that miscanthus. Um, they'll use a mm -hmm. row of miscanthus as a travel corridor, um, as they enter and exit the field. So, uh, I, I would incorporate, mm -hmm. if I was going to do a new switchgrass planting, I would incorporate a lot of miscanthus in it today. Interesting. Yeah. Is there anything different than miscanthus that you could use for structure that wouldn't, uh, compete against the, the switchgrass? Well, I've tried trees and such, and you need to burn your switchgrass. And I can't tell you how many trees I've burned up to that <laughs> plant, so... Um, trees are not a, a good alternative, put it that way. Now, if you've got 
some bigger established trees in an area and you're trying to create like a savanna um, with those scattered oaks or whatever, then that'd be great. But to go out there and plant the trees within that switchgrass, that's just a recipe for failure and a waste of your time and your money. Yeah, that's a mistake I've made. That I, I can save you the, <laughs> I can save you the time. I can save you the money. Just forget it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you made mention too. You're looking, you're looking for a new farm. Mm-hmm. So, what does Don Higgins' checklist look like when you're trying to prospect a farm? And you made a little bit of how you're trying to find this one. But what what does that look like to someone that wants to go find that top tier parcel that maybe? Um, isn't currently available uh the number one thing i'm looking for is isolation if you got one that sits out by itself um you know with surrounded by open fields or whatever um it it prevents that neighbor from sitting right up on your line um Mm -hmm. uh, it it also helps the deer to um well let's just say you got a big a big woods that's uh, got numerous property lines within that woods a deer can't recognize those property lines. Either that woods is safe or that woods is not safe in a deer's eyes. And if you own the whole woods, you can make it safe in his eyes. And that's what you want to hold him. So that isolation, you know, a, a woods that sits by itself and you own the whole thing, mm-hmm. that's the first thing I'm looking for. Isolation. So you can basically help control the deer herd or deer neighborhood and pressure. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh what do you think this farm would be like if you if you put a smack dab? Let's say, imagine, okay, so it's mainly ag nearby. Imagine, okay, now there's another 80 on the backside of it of a guy that hunts, and then there's another 80 to the north, and then there's a guy with a 120 on the south, and then all of a sudden, they're doing the same habitat practices that you're doing per se, mm-hmm. but probably not to the level of intensity, and they're not passing five-year-olds like you are. What Would you pull your hair out and, and move on? Uh, they would destroy this place. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, a lot of times when I talk to my consulting clients, I've got a, a list of survey questions that I ask them so I can get a good feel for their situation. And one of the things I ask is about the hunting pressure around their farm or their property. And they'll sometimes, you know, these potential clients will say things, oh, it's fantastic. I got nobody hunting over to the west, nobody hunting to the east, nobody hunting to the north, nobody hunting to the south. It's just fantastic. It's only me. Well, I don't like that because it's harder for you to to set your place apart. If nobody's hunting anywhere, well, I the see. deer go everywhere and they feel safe everywhere. Yeah, I want some hunting pressure around me. Push them, to, and it makes me it makes it a whole lot easier for me to differentiate my farm in the eyes of the local deer. Mm-hmm. I can make my farm the safe place, and you know. I, I, then the other thing is in Iowa where you've got such. Southern Iowa, you know, where every farm is being managed almost. Yep. I don't like that situation either because you're only going to have so many. When you start talking about world-class bucks, I don't care how well you manage. There's not going to be very many of them. Just a genetic thing uh, just to get to that potential. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've got all these farms that are being intensely managed and you've got one world-class buck. How are you ever going to keep him on your property instead of the neighbor? It's a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. There's probably five or ten neighbors that have a real chance at killing that deer because you're all doing the same thing. I would much rather have a farm surrounded by heavy hunting pressure than all being managed as long as that farm lays out right. Sure. And I think the keyword's managed there too. Yep. In the in the neighborhood. Yeah. So let's say in most scenarios, most people that has a piece that they hunt there's hunting pressure nearby, mm-hmm. or at least there's, there's neighbors that hunt. Is, 
what are some things that people can do to make their, I mean, that's kind of walking on the same question, but what, what, how can you manage either fence hunters or people that are on the same page in the neighborhood to make your farm glowingly better? Or is it just kind of like, yeah, good luck. Fences. And people are going to laugh, but I, I, I'll be brutally honest and upfront and totally transparent. I've got an eight foot fence down one side of my f- property because of one bad neighbor. <laughs> uh huh. And, you know, a few years ago, whenever I was consulting on properties, the, the topic of fences never came up. And I, I, that's not something I push on people. If they mm-hmm. want to do it, fine. If Feels they like don't, ex- fine. Yeah. Up, up many roads down or right. many, many conversations that don't go well. Yep. But today when I consult in the typical consulting season, numerous times the client says, well, what do you think if I build a fence over there? I hear it all the time. Fences are coming to the Midwest because of bad neighbors. It's crazy. And if you think about it in whitetail management, wildlife management, whatever, Texas was way ahead of the rest of the country. I remember when I was your age, the idea of leasing in the Midwest was unheard of. There was no leasing, period, none, zero. It was real common in Texas, though. High fences, been down in Texas forever. Yeah. The leasing has already made it this way. The fences are coming because of bad neighbors and poor management. These states that manage their deer herd so terrible, they're they're forcing people that want to have a quality deer herd to build fences here. And I'm not saying enclose your property. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if you got one bad neighbor on one side, well, boom, a fence takes care of that guy. Mm-hmm. He can keep his deer on his side. You keep yours on yours. I'm, um, I'm sure you're right. I guarantee, because to your point, I've heard uh, th- that same comment and same conversation more and more than even just what it was four or five years ago, mm-hmm. too. And I'm sure it'll just keep getting more popular. Right. Now, so there's two two thoughts that come when I heard that. There's two thoughts. Okay, well, what is it? Keep that neighbor from, and then having just the, the pinch of all pinches mm-hmm. of an incredible spot after, you know, cutting a hole in it. What would you say? I mean, obviously, that's... Well, unsavory, but if you had to put up a fence, it's probably not great to begin with. You don't have to put your fence on the line. You can move your fence 10 feet off the line. You can have a path, a mowed path still on your property Mm -hmm. on the other side of the fence. Yeah. There's ways to deal with them people. And then, uh, you know, if it really comes down to it, uh, most of those people are not the kind of people that are going to want to show up in court and get sued, civil suit because they're damaging someone's property. Um, Mm -hmm. Sad that it'd have to come to that, especially over deer hunting, but mm-hmm. um, it just depends on how serious you want to take it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, that that's one way to put it. Now, the other question would be, would you, let's say, okay, the, the fence is going on this side of the farm. Would you make a big U so it just doesn't have a incredible pinch on the north side, an incredible pinch on the south side, or do you taper it out? Well, you, you definitely, you got to watch where you end a fence because you're creating a funnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of every fence is a funnel. And uh, you can actually help your neighbor if you end it in the wrong spot because instead of those deer crossing 10 different places, you've, you've forced them to cross at one around the end of the fence. So you definitely got to watch where you end it. Mm-hmm. So how how would how would you end it? I'm sure it's dependent on. The it farm. just depends on what's on the other side. I mean, mm-hmm. if the other side is nothing but a wide open ag field that nobody can hunt, well, it it's pretty simple then. Mm-hmm. What if it's a uh, a wooded and and they so they own beyond to the north and they own beyond on the south, and so inevitably there is some sort of pinch. Yeah, I mean, you might have to. 
You might have to fence two sides of your property instead of one. Okay. To be effective. So, uh, I mean, is it going to be pretty common, you think, across the board? I, I in think it's coming. Yeah. It's coming. In yeah. fact, I think it's coming. I, I feel so strongly about it that I've advised more than one young guy that's <laughs> looking to start a business. You need to start a fence building business. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, this the clients that I've got. Yeah. The, they're sick of bad neighbors. And uh, they're not fencing their entire property. They're not doing it to Just, yeah. funnel their deer. They're doing it to keep their young bucks alive is why they're doing it. Yeah. And I totally understand it. Yeah. That is, uh, I see both sides of that for sure. And I think you're, you're probably right. So yeah, uh, <laughs> that, that derailed my thoughts here. A little well, bit. I'll tell you what, we just, we just created about 5,000 comments. Once you post this uh, video, oh, yeah. the, the, the haters are going to come out of the woodwork on this one, but Hey, I'm just telling you the truth. It's well, coming. Yeah. And like I said, I've heard murmurs of it and I know people have, have done it. And there was a, a, a farm that I hunt the neighbor. He's like, I think I'm going to put up a fence on blah, blah, boundary. I can't handle it anymore. And I was yep. Like, Okay. Um, so yeah. So spin this as a positive start offense. I'm just, I'm just telling you the truth. If you can stick your head in the sand or whatever you want to do, but it's coming. Yeah. It's already here. Actually. Uh I know multiple properties that have high fences, not all the way around, but Mm -hmm. on certain sides. Yeah, man, I get it to, to some extent for sure. So, um, when did you put up your high fence on this one or did you already have it up from uh, prior? On the one side? Yeah. Oh, a few years ago, um, I had a new neighbor move in. He's got five acres, mm-hmm. and that includes his house, his yard, and just a little section of woods. And when he moved in, um, you know, I went down and tried to be a good neighbor and and uh, did some work for him in exchange for exclusive hunting rights. And that worked good for about a year. And then one day I get a – one morning early, I get a call from a guy that uh, – he shot a deer that ran onto me and he wants to go look for it. And I'm thinking, well, and I'm asking him, well, where, where was you hunting at? I mean, how far did this deer, did he come a mile across open country or what? Um, he said, no, I'm hunting down here on so-and-so's. I'm like, well, who gave you permission? Cause I got exclusive rights to that. Oh, the landowner did. And so I make a long story short, you know, <laughs> I helped the guy look for his deer. Uh-huh. Uh, we never did find it. He definitely hit it. It's a deer. I mean, there was blood and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, tried to talk to my neighbor and it just, it went from bad to worse. Um, and he flat out told me to my face, he told me, I'm going to let anybody that wants to hunt, hunt here and shoot all the deer they want. Because the, the issue was these deer were coming out of my sanctuary into his Five acres. Yeah. And then as soon as they shot them, they ran back Mm -hmm. and and it was causing me all kinds of issues. And the guy just flat out told me, he said, I'm going to let whoever wants to come hunt here, shoot your deer. And I don't care if you let them go get them or not. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, we'll take care of that problem. And that winter I built a fence (laughs) (laughs) and we've been good neighbors ever since. (laughs) Uh, What is it? uh, There's, there's a line about like, uh, like fences make good neighbors. Yeah, Good fences make good neighbors. (laughs) Yeah. So there's that. Okay. That, that definitely makes sense. I'm, I'm looking through here. I mean, is there, is there something that you see people just constantly have wrong when it comes to a client that's looking to buy a piece of ground that they just completely underestimate the importance? So, I mean, I think neighborhood's mm-hmm. probably a big one. Access is another big one. Well, the, the layout of the property, I, I'm, I found that um, most clients or most there's a lot of people that'll email me listings mm-hmm. and they'll say, I'm going to hire you 
to look at this design my property after i buy it i just need you to help me find one is this a good one is this a good one they're sending me listings and they don't understand the power of isolation and how important that isolation is so that they'll send me a aerial of a or a listing for a property that's surrounded on three sides by woods and so there's basically just an imaginary line through the woods on three deer can't relate to that mm-hmm. and uh, that isolation is what what's really important so uh, i think that's probably the biggest one well i think people naturally want to go into that you know i got a 40 and it's 300 acres of continuous timber all the way around it. Right. People want to naturally gravitate towards that. Yep. And then when people look at the listings, I see this all the time, when they look at an 80, that's like, well, there's nothing there's nothing nearby. Why would you want to buy that? There's no timber nearby. Yep. Like, that's why you want it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they, they just don't understand what a good piece looks like. They'll, they'll want to buy along a creek or a river where it's just continuous for miles mm-hmm. in every direction. Well, how's a deer going to relate to this little section along the river is the safe zone? Mm-hmm. And the rest of it's not, you can't, you got to buy a property that you can set apart from everything around it. And if you butt up to other wooded tracks, it's really hard to set yourself apart. Mm -hmm. Could you, what could you do though? Let's say someone, they already bought it and they're like, I'm not selling it. This is what I want. This is what I have. I mean, would how do you, do you do any sort of plantings of some sort? Do you do different types of cuts along a boundary, the road well, system. you need to establish the boundary and either with, and I'm not talking high fence, a fence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can use just two strands of smooth wire and uh, you've, that, you've created a physical feature around that perimeter of your property. So a deer knows, and you, you could just clear a path mm-hmm. and keep that path mode. And so the deer knows every time I cross this path, I never encountered humans or human sin or danger every time i jump this fence i don't ever encounter every time i cross this creek or i cross that road i never encounter humans um but you need some sort of a physical feature around the edge of the property Mm -hmm. i think that's good advice and then what about adding additional structure inside too because i I think that's what um obviously the guys in the office hunt a lot of big woods i think so it's definitely harder because the, the deer travel is so less defined than what something out here. It's, you know, they're following the edge, but how do you, so on a parcel that has really no definite edge or different, um, travel corridors, do you try to enhance what's there with cuts or do you, or do you put more fences up internally to try to get deer to, uh, use it a certain way? No, it's, uh, dropping trees is a good way. Piling up brush, um, just to force those deer around the end. Mm-hmm. But what's, uh, what's your, what's your stance on those piles of brush? Is there, can you do it too much? Is it, cause I, there's a, a lot of different tactics on this that I see, and it seems to be a, a tactic that's getting more popular too, like, uh, putting a timber cut all the way around or, you know, brush a log jam, basically all the way around a food plot with maybe one or two entries. Mm-hmm. Is that an effective method? Well, I, I can tell you, there's going to be some mature bucks that won't go in there and, you know, I actually just made a video that we haven't released yet, but uh, it's it's on tough bucks versus easy bucks. And a lot of the advice I give is based on hunting the toughest bucks. Uh, a good example is a mowed path. You can mow a path through switchgrass, weeds, whatever, and the deer will follow that path. There's some mature bucks that absolutely will not go on that mowed path. They just don't like it. 
a, a much better way that I found is, uh, and this and Smokey, this buck right above me is the one that taught me that he wouldn't, I was mowing paths through my switchgrass. And even though he lived in that switchgrass, he would not follow those paths. He would cut across them, but he wouldn't follow them. Mm-hmm. And, and so when he was a three-year-old and I, I seen him he, and, and I never got his picture on the paths and he just, he would cross them. I watched him. I got video footage of him. He made me change my tactics. So instead of mowing paths, I take a little pump up garden sprayer and I will use herbicide and I will spray a path. And you know, it's only about a foot or so wide and those deer will follow it even better than they'll follow a mowed path. Cause those bucks like to, they like to feel, feel that brush the against their sides. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so, you know, <clears throat> I posted that a couple of years ago on social media, you know, I, I, a picture of the path I'd sprayed and all, all these haters got on there and told me I was an idiot because deer will follow mode paths. Look at the buck. I shot them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, they will follow them, Not but there's going to be some that won't those tough bucks. And I want to be able to kill the tough ones because if I can kill the tough ones, the easy ones are going to come easy. Mm-hmm. That's Really good way to put it. <laughs> really good way to put it. Um, let's see here. I think overall, I mean, I think we covered most of it. I mean, what would you tell someone if you had to summarize it? I mean, well, let me ask you this because remind me, when did you did you start with some of this with the house, and then did you buy more or what? How did you end up with what you have here? Okay, so the old farmhouse was my grandparents when they passed away. My wife and I bought it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that's where we lived until here about a year ago. Um, well, actually, it wasn't even a year ago. Just right before Christmas, we moved in here. So uh, about 10 months ago or so. So there was originally 30 acres that they owned. And then when I bought that 30, there was a 10 that made, made it a complete 40 that I bought at the same time. And it was an old cattle pasture. And then a few years later, we had a chance to buy another 70-some right next to it. Um, which we added to. So um, that that's how we, it, it's come to be. But mm-hmm. um, by the time I was serious about the deer management, um, I already, I owned it all. I mean, I had the, the original 30 plus 10, that original 40 that we bought, and I just acquired uh, this piece next to it. Mm-hmm. So has owning land been one of the better things in your life? <laughs> Oh, for sure. Yeah, I could have never put these bucks, most of these bucks on the wall. I mean, a lot of them didn't come from this farm, but having a piece to yourself that you can manipulate any way you want, that's a game changer. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a guy that's crazy about killing big deer, it, I mean, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, it, and it unleashes a lot of new products and or projects. And then the other thing, too, is I wonder how much stuff you learned here that you can implement in other locations, too. Well, th- this has been like the training grounds um, for me. Uh, if I buy another property, which I'm hoping to do real soon, it, I mean, there's not going to be the mistakes that, that would happened here. I mean, I'll have that property cranking out deer in about three years. Um, wh- what were some of the, I know you, you mentioned you wouldn't uh, plant the ash tree again, but like what were some of the other early mistakes that you made here? Well, layout, you know, I, I like to have my, uh, food plots in the cover or i did when i started i thought well if this food plots within the woods a deer are going to hit it a lot more and so i had these little plots you know basically all over and that, that that's a terrible approach to managing a property I, i'm a big fan of fewer but bigger plots 
um, when that deer stands up to go feed in the afternoon, I want him not to have 10 choices of where he's going to go. I want to give him one or two, depending on the size of the property. And that doesn't mean that you have one food plot of all one crop. You can have one big plot and have it divided into three or four different sections, mm -hmm. but those deer are coming to one area. It's the same way with the fruit trees. You know, when I started, I was planting them everywhere. If there was an opening getting sunlight, I was sticking an apple tree or a pear tree in it. Does the same thing today. I I concentrate those fruit trees along the edge of my food plots, and I just I'm trying to create like a a buffet, if you will, of food in one location instead of having it just scattered everywhere. Mm -hmm. That that was a huge mistake that I made in the beginning. And again, when I go to a consulting client's property, I mean I'm saving them a lot of years because I made the mistake. I I literally did it wrong, and I learned <laughs> from it. So, mm -hmm. well, yeah, I, I think that covers the most of those. I think there's some, some really good tangible things in there. Um, anything that I didn't ask you that I should have? Oh, I can't think of anything, but <laughs> I did my job. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, once again, feel free to plug whatever you'd like. Um, it's been a pleasure to, it's really cool as we're talking, uh, if you see me looking around, there's a lot of big deer to look at. So, uh, <laughs> there's, there's plenty of distractions. Um, but yeah, feel free to plug whatever you'd like. Well, you can uh, listen to my podcast, Chasing Giants, found on YouTube or just about any podcast platform. Um, my website is HigginsOutdoors.com. RealWorldWildlifeProducts.com is uh, my seed company. Um, social media, look for Higgins Outdoors. And uh, uh, I'm about big deer. so <laughs> I, Clearly, you designed your, your life around it, and hopefully there's a at least one person that's going to start a successful fence building company from this, oh, well, from this and we want to know. <laughs> I wouldn't be a bit surprised. And I'm telling you, it's coming. I, I get clients every year asking me, who can I get to build my fence? There you guys have. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Don. I want to say thank you once again for him taking the time to sit down with us and record free podcasts, a Whitetail Cribs episode, a very busy guy and uh, loves Whitetails through and through. So it's always great to um, share a conversation with someone like that. So just want to say thanks to Don. And also be sure to keep an eye out for his Whitetail Cribs. It's going to be incredible. It's going to go live this November on the Exodus YouTube channel. And that is it for now. If you guys enjoyed the conversation, please share it with a friend. We have uploads on YouTube every single Thursday and Saturday. So be sure to go over there. Check that out. YouTube channel name is Jake Hofer. So that is it. Until next time. See ya.